If you would please uh, turn again to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, as, as you do turn there, I'd also like to mention too, uh, to, bring, to bring to note, that uh, Kathleen has lost a couple family members. And uh, if you would please encourage her afterwards. She's been on the phone, I understand, with a number of them. And she ministers to her extended family. And that this would be a time where she could talk to them about uh, those who need to know the Lord. And then to encourage her. So, so give her a hug when you leave as well, Kathleen. Looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Title of this message, We Preach Christ. Amen? And I'd like you to take just a moment, you know, envision in your mind, just think back to what you think a Christian missionary looks like. What does a Christian missionary look like? You know, is it like uh, Hudson Taylor, who left everything behind and sailed over uh, to China, ministering to others, and, and for entire, his entire life he left just everything behind, everything he knew, to go uh, spread the gospel in a foreign land. Or, or perhaps you think of a missionary as, as a person who goes to, to savages in the jungle. You know, and they spend all their time just translating parts of the Bible into the native language uh, to hopefully to be able to communicate Jesus Christ, perhaps to just, you know, a handful of people. Over many, many years, perhaps just reaching a few dozen people. You know, there surely have been missionaries that have been called to those types of roles. But instead today, I'd like to place those images out of our minds, forget about those until next week, we talk about global missions, and, and for the next few minutes, I'd just like to think about what your mission looks like. Reflect back to this morning even, when you first looked in the mirror. Think of when you were looking in the mirror, and uh, while well, you're getting ready for church. In fact, consider every morning, during the week, when you're, when you're looking in the mirror and you're looking at yourself, what it is that you see. Is it just grain hair, you know? Is it is a few extra pounds that you wish weren't there in the reflection? You know, there's curved mirrors that can fix that. <laughs> what do you see in your reflection? Because, you know, we get so busy in this life, a lot of people don't even ponder that type of question. They don't even think about it. Uh, they're thinking about putting on makeup or, or trimming those nose hairs. You know, those things that they need to get done so they can get out and get going on their day. It's all, it's all merely checking the outer appearance before they go on their way. But think beyond your appearance now, what you look like. What do you see? Who are you? Why are you here? What are you doing? What is your purpose? Why do you wake up each day? Is it simply just to do another load of laundry? Is it uh, to sell another widget if you're a salesperson? If you're working hard, do you wake every day just so you can take another vacation perhaps over the next 10 to 12 months? Is that what, why you're here? I'd, I'd like to suggest that if you're a Christian here today, you have a greater purpose. Are those the reasons God called you to himself? Just to look better in the morning? To get your life in a little better situation? Was it to hop on the treadmill of life? Just to keep going? Another week? Same week? 
same habits, same things. Survived another day. Got to the gym, hopefully to offset aging by a year or two, maybe. To collect the social security, you know, because you paid in all those years. Do we live for that? Not Christians. Is it just to earn a few more bucks so I can have a little later model car to drive around? Take out the trash at the curb one more time. Is that why we're here? I'll tell you folks, if those are the only reasons that I'm here today, then God can take my life right now. Those are not reasons to be here. I'm not alive just to run in the squirrel cage of life. No desire to wake up in the morning, get out of bed, go earn a few more dollars so I can pay the electric bill and and the grocery bill just so I can offset what my body mass consumes. That's no purpose to life. No purpose to life. Look again in the mirror. Why are you here? Why are you here? Why after regenerating your heart, saving your soul, did God leave you behind? Why? You know, since the Apostle Paul assures us that being present with the Lord is immensely better, enormously better than remaining here, why is it that when we baptize you, we don't just hold you under and send you on to eternity? (laughs) Why don't we do that? Baptism's on the 16th, Gerald's saying. <laughs> no, we don't do that here. That's not what Christians do. Because we're, we, we get up in the morning because we have a mission. We have a mission. Look at me at verse 9 of First Thessalonians. They were a group that turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. To serve. You're a missionary, folks. We're here to serve. Like the church in Thessalonica, we, rem- uh, we remain here to turn from our idols and to serve God. That's why we're here. And I'd like to take a few moments uh, to look a little more closely at the opening verses of 1 Thessalonians. We're not going to go very deep into them. But we want to look at them because they're a, they're a church that the Apostle Paul uh, commended. They were doing some good work there. Not perfect, no perfect church, of course, but he commends them. They got a number of things right. And by looking at their example, we can learn how God would like our church to look as we move forward and what God commends. When I looked at these, I found four things in particular. There are more. We can find more. But four things in particular about Thessalonica that Paul commended in these first ten verses that we read earlier. They were a serving church, They were a spirit-dependent church. They were a word-centered church. And they were an evangelistic church. They served. They relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. They were committed to God's Word. And they were a church that people recognized for outreach. People knew what Thessalonica was all about. The other churches gave testimony. The other people around in Macedonia and Achaia and every other place, the word sounded forth from Thessalonica. Look with me then at verse 2. After the opening greeting, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Here we see, we see Paul's, you know, that famous trifecta that we hear about all the time. Faith, hope, and love. And what does he tie them to? Look again. Faith, hope, and love are linked to work, labor, and steadfastness. The NIV translates steadfastness as endurance of hope. That's probably a little better. Work, labor, endurance. These are the qualities that Paul says you need for effective service as a church. Work, labor, endurance. Thessalonica, they were a working church. They were a labor-intensive church. They were a serving church. Christ told his disciples in Matthew 20, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and, and their great men exercise authority over, men, over them. It is not this way among you. To his followers, he didn't say that it shouldn't be this way among you. To those who are truly his followers, he says, It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, later at the Last Supper, Jesus would wash his disciples' feet. He'd instruct them to do likewise. Yet, so much today with with this seeker-driven mentality to try and get large crowds together, uh, many churches have adopted the posture that they don't really expect members to do anything. Especially visitors, members, they really don't expect them to. Uh, Instead, the strategy has become to give everybody a really great experience. We want people to have a really great experience Um, And and there comes a fear that, you know, if you push people to chip in and serve, maybe they won't come back. Is that a fear we should have for followers of Jesus Christ? Not the way I read it. Jesus said his followers will serve. And and our our culture has, you know, it's become so entertainment-driven and and so competitive. Uh, You know, it's like a business owner They'll allow the people to ransack their pizza parlor, have 17 kids or something. They come in, they ransack the place and leave it a mess everywhere. And and things are so competitive that they don't say anything at all. And uh, they just say, well, we just hope they come back. Really? That's what you have to do. Competitive, capitalistic uh, ideals today. You have to do it to survive in the business world. But that's not the church. That's not what the church looks like. Think of movie theaters. You know, customers enter. Hopefully they enjoy an hour and a half. And they throw their popcorn all over the place. Don't you? I do. No, I don't. They, you know, they leave it in a mess. They're unfinished stuff. They, they, they leave it there. And hopefully, for your business sake, you hope that they come back. You don't want them to have to do anything. That's a capitalistic mindset. And... and It's something we have to guard against. Not that we leave stuff laying around. We don't have that problem here. Um, Just making a point. Members of a church realize that living life as a Christian, you know, it's not about entertainment. It's not about that hour and a half of of having a good time and then bolting out until seven days later. Uh, A Christian walk involves work, labor, and endurance. Sometimes it's very hard. 
very hard. People put in a lot of hours at work. They work hard. To go to church then and serve, how, how does a person do that? Paul says it's a labor of love. It's not a work that we dread. Verse 3 says that it's a work of faith and a labor of love. Don't let the, the phrase, the work of faith there fool you. It's, it's, don't get sidetracked. It's not saying that work um, is a way of achieving faith. That's not what it's talking about. That would con- contradict what is clear in Scripture, that faith is a gift of God, not the result of works. So you don't get faith by works. That's not what he's saying here. Uh, William MacDonald, if you're familiar with him, has a commentary out. He, he, he writes this. The expression of work of faith includes the life of faith which follows conversion. Your work of faith is a life of faith following conversion. And he continues, The labor of love speaks of their service for God, motivated by love toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity, he says, is not a life to be endured for duty's sake, but a person of Christ to be served for love's sake. To be his slave, he writes, is perfect freedom, and love for him makes drudgery divine. Drudgery becomes divine. I thought about that this morning when I pulled in. And uh, the first thing that I did when I came in is I went into the kitchen, the other building, and unexpectedly, I just smelt freshness. And someone had come in, and they had cleaned and mopped all the floors in that tile area in there. I didn't ask them to do it didn't direct them to do it, didn't suggest they did it. I just came in and it was just done. And I'm like, wow. And then about 7 o'clock, another person comes in and, and I hear the leaf blower start up. And I could tell by their walking that they're going around blowing the, the uh, sidewalks off so that other people when they come in won't have the wet leaves and everything getting on their shoes. Why would anybody do that? You want to... Think of one of the most precious things, especially as a pastor, to be proud of. Those types of things. That's a labor of love. Your love for Jesus Christ is what motivates people to do that. There's no glory in it. There's no pay in it. If people do it because they love serving Jesus Christ. It makes ministry a joy for everyone. So, we would say here that after visiting a church for a sufficient period of time, we talked about last week, to discover who we are as a church, those who eventually become members recognize they want to labor. They want to work for the Lord here with us. They just see this is a place I'd want to plug in and do that. It's a labor of love. Uh, some enjoy coming in at their leisure to clean. We've seen that. Uh, other members want to, uh, they want the other members to arrive at something nice. It's almost like washing feet, you know. I just want the others to have a better situation when they come in. Better parking, cleaner uh, bathrooms, everything that they do. They're, in a sense, feet washing. They're caring for us. They're caring for the members of the body. Others keep the facility up. They mow, they paint, they fix. You're serving the body. It's a labor of love. God is well pleased with that type of labor. Well pleased. Some teach Sunday school. Others make meals. They serve in the youth ministries. Some are musically gifted. Others focus on outreach, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But all are members of the body. 
Like Thessalonica, Port St. Lucie Bible Church is a working and serving church and it is a labor of love. Everything that we do. Look with me at verse 5. We're going to discover that Thessalonica was also a spirit-dependent church. Spirit-dependent church. Verse 5 says, Our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Spirit-dependent churches recognize that unless the Holy Spirit's active uh, at his, His ministry of conviction of sins, Unless the Holy Spirit is active, the word preached by, by man, God's word preached by man, it, it just it, it, it fails to change a man's heart. It'll fall on a cold and dead heart unless the Holy Spirit's involved. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, in reference to God's word, a natural man, that means an unsaved man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. For he cannot understand them, for the, for they are spiritually discerned. The Holy Spirit has to be there to make sense of it all. We can preach all day long until we're blue in the face. The Holy, isn't, Holy Spirit isn't there so that you can make sense of it all. It isn't go, it's going to fall on dead ears. So whether we're preaching, whether we're teaching, whether we're out on evangelism, unless the Holy Spirit sovereignly precedes us, the words that, that we have have no greater ability to penetrate a man's heart than a pea shooter does a soldier's armor. It's impossible. The Spirit must move first. And six, John 16, 8 assures us uh, that the conviction of sin is His ministry. That's what He does. It's not our ministry. We may share words that He uses for conviction. And we can't control when and where the Holy Spirit works. That's the hard part. We really can't. Jeremiah couldn't. A successful ministry no converts. Old Testament. The reason the Spirit works the way He does, we don't know. We know that our job is to preach. We don't know where He's going to work. This is the reason, by the way, that um, Jonathan Edwards could preach his most famous sermon ever, ever, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He could preach that to his own church members in, in Northampton, Massachusetts, and have little effect. Little effect on a mostly dead congregation, a largely dead congregation. And then he could preach the identical message 30 miles away in a, in a town called Enfield, Connecticut. And as he's preaching that same message, people are crying. They're, they're, they're wailing to God to forgive them and asking, How can we be saved? What's the difference? The Spirit moved. Spirit moved. And on that day, Enfield became part of what we know as the first great awakening in America. Great awakening. In John 3, Jesus told Nicodemus, You must be born again. Yet referring to the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we can't control the Holy Spirit. We pray for God the Holy Spirit to do His work ahead of us, for that, for, to do His ministry, so that our message when we speak it, or that tract when we give it, it falls on an open heart. We have to pray that God is at work, that He would find it pleasing to open that door to ministry. You know, we, as a church, we pray for revival. 
We want to see revival. We can't schedule revival. Uh, I kind of get a little bit of a kick out of it when you, you know, you go out in the country somewhere, and God bless them, you see a little banner strung across some trees in a real small country church, and you see, see the sign says, well, come this Friday and Saturday night at 8.30 p.m., we're going to have a revival. How do you know you're going to have a revival? Have you gotten on the agenda with the Holy Spirit and you know He's going to be there? You can't schedule a revival. You can get emotions all stirred up. A lot of times they'll have you know, some fiery preacher come in and he'll stomp and jump around and, and shout and other things to get people excited. And it gives an impression the Spirit is working there. Instead, we pray, if God so wills, we will see a revival in Port St. Lucie. We invite him to go ahead of us. Any uh, genuine revival is going to be accompanied. We've seen this historically through prayer. It's going to be ushered in by the faithful preaching of God's word. But we are completely at the mercy of God's Holy Spirit for people to be convicted of their sins and to be saved. It's his work. Um, salvation doesn't hinge upon the contrivances of man, the eloquence of the preacher, though surely we see from other scriptures that the preachers need to be competent, but not, don't have to be eloquent. The Puritans, you know, they were people, they, they, they weren't the type to draw attention to themselves. They really weren't. They were quiet people. They did not want attention focused on themselves, even the preachers. Jonathan Edwards, he was not a fiery preacher by any means. Records show that he would write out a sermon, he would script it page by page, about double the length of one of mine, if you can believe that. And they say that he would read it, rarely ever lifting his eyes. Calmly read it to the people. And, and yet, revival broke out. Why? The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was there. And it, he was one of the greatest preachers America has known on our soil. Why was he great? His sermons were biblical. The Holy Spirit uh, liked that. God, God the Holy Spirit said, you know, this is a man I can use. He also says, this is a woman I can use as she teaches others. As Rhonda's in Sunday school, committed to the Word. Ruth teaching the women's group. Bible life group, teaching the youth. When the, when the Bible is present and the Scripture is taught, the Holy Spirit says, you know what, these are some people I can use. They're praying for me. They know I'm the one working. It's not about how perfect they are. For some reason, I, I don't know what it is, I've said this before, you go to Romans chapter 10, and say, how are they going to hear without a preacher? For some reason, God has ordained that people are saved at the preaching of his word by men. I, I, it's not rational to me. For some reason, God has restrained himself, restricted himself, whatever you want to call it, to say, you know what, this is how it works. I want people to go forth and share the word, and my Holy Spirit's going to go ahead of those faithful, and I'm going to convert souls, and they're going to be saved. <laughs> you would have thought he would have found a better way. Looking at us. You really should, at some point when you have the opportunity, go and download uh, John Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's public domain. You can get it for free as a PDF and just read it. 
It's amazing what he talks about in there. Just amazing message. Uh, he describes the fiery pits of hell. Where, you know, where the demons are salivating. They're looking up at you. They see as an unbeliever, your feet are on slippery uh, footing. And they're just hoping some way, somehow you're going to fall. They're up there with their nostrils breathing, just hope that they can suck you down into their demise. These are the types of things he's talking about. The fiery pits of hell that people are going to suffer in. Boy, how often do you hear that today? Nowadays, it's chicken soup for your soul. A lot of times you'll hear people talking about, you know, uh, pastors preaching a series on, you know, how you can be like your, your favorite superhero. You know, Iron Man. You see those series, it's like, is there any wonder why we don't see revival in our country? I think it's pretty obvious. It's pretty obvious. We aren't relying on the Holy Spirit. We aren't speaking the truth. We're avoiding the truth. We're avoiding the hard topics. Thessalonica, they received God's word. Verse 5 says, In the power of the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Full conviction. That means the Holy Spirit used that preaching to expose and, and convict of sin so that it grieved people. People were sorry for what they had done. And then they praised God for His mercy that He'd send His Son to die on a cross because of what you and I are. That caused revival in Thessalonica. Notice the preacher not giving any credit here. It's not about the guy who preached to you. The credit goes to the power of the Word as it's implanted in your heart by the Holy Spirit. 100%, full credit goes to God. Christ says, apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. Nothing. That provides a seamless transition to my fourth topic of evangelism and outreach as we we see it here in Port St. Lucie and in the Scriptures. Uh, Verse 8 says, In Thessalonica that the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place uh, your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. He didn't even need to bring it up because everybody already knew about Thessalonica. They had a reputation as a church committed to outreach. They were sounding forth to the north and the south, to the east and the west. And a a Bible-centered church, as they were, centered on the Word, as we see in Scripture, uh, like ours, a Bible-centered church absolutely must be bent on evangelism and outreach. We have to be. I'll tell you why. It's essential that we be bent on outreach. If you're a church, comparatively, if you're a church willing to set the Bible aside some, make it secondary or tertiary, and set it aside... You decide to become like an event-driven church, which some are. If you do things well, you'll draw people. You will draw people if you do it well. You better do things well. Music, transitions, other things, uh, events. You better do them well because there's a lot of competition out there for that type of, of church. And they tend to focus their energy, their resources on events. You'll see huge weekend barbecues, concerts, celebrity guest speakers usually from time to time. They'll have car shows, um, impressive holiday 
programs. Even Sunday worship becomes an event. In fact, there are some churches out west, or one in particular, I say that they don't call it church parking. They call it event parking outside. Um, there was a pastor in Dallas. One Sunday, he drove a tank up on stage, a military tank up on stage, popped his head out. You know, they might be the type of person that, that uh, gets a race car when the, the race car circuit, the NASCAR circuit's coming to town. They'll park it up by the pulpit, and they'll come out from the back in a, in a fire suit, you know, and the helmet under their arm. And that'll interest people. That'll interest people. There's one, there's one church down south, south of here even, that's far south. Their, their, their platform, their stage, hydraulically lifts up to form a backdrop for an ice skating rink. To each their own, I guess. You know, a few people are probably going to get saved at these events. The gospel will get there. A few might get saved. You can go that route. You can go that route. But what type of people, what type of person do you normally draw to that type of thing? A person who wants to see more events, right? They like events. Um, They're interested in attending events. What happens if the events stop? They stop. Are they usually interested in, in serving the body whether they come to or are they looking for an event? Is it a labor of love like we see in Scripture? Not usually. Sometimes. I don't want to be too hard on this. I'm just trying to make a point when we look at our church. Um, how about the Word of God? If it's usually right center stage or far right, maybe behind the organ over there, if that's its normal place and you're doing events, what if you bring it center stage? What if you pull out a John Edwards on them and start going fire and brimstone from time to time? People are going to warm up to that? Or are they going to find another church and say, you know what, honey, I saw a church on the way in. They had 33 flavors of ice cream. Let's go there next week. What's going to happen? Are you going to be able to keep your large church full if you bring the word and send it, set it front and center again? Say, folks, this is what we're living for right here is the word. It'd be difficult. It'd be difficult. Wrap up my point Those who are drawn to flashy events aren't really looking to be convicted. If you start telling them they're a bad, bad person, probably not going to like it. Um, I just want you to know, this is not to get down on them. People do get saved in these situations. That's not for us to judge. They do what they do. Just comparing here. Um, If you haven't already figured it out as a member or coming to membership orientation, that's not us. That's not us. That's not the type of church we are. We are not an event-driven church. Uh, as a Bible church, we are on a slightly different trajectory. A little different trajectory, and let me explain. A Bible-teaching church, a Bible-believing church, does not rely on events to bring in people. They rely on the Holy Spirit to bring in people. Um, they have to do uh, evangelism and outreach A Bible faithful church has to do outreach. If they don't, they'll eventually shrivel and die. Um, In these days, this day and age, there aren't enough people coming in and off the street filtering in to keep a church above water. 
You have to go to them. Go and tell. I think I've heard that somewhere before. You have to go out because not enough people are just going to walk in the doors. And, and there's a plethora of small churches around. Maybe some have 20 people, some have 40 people. So, uh, they might be an aging church. It doesn't mean that they don't love Jesus as much as us. It doesn't mean that they aren't committed to God's word as us. But it might mean along the way somewhere they, they kind of forgot the reaching out. Because new people aren't coming in. Because as people age, as they move back north after they've been in a retirement state for a while, they tend to think it's better up north again. Um, it happens. Some will pass along. Over time, the numbers will dwindle. And a lot, the biggest distraction in a lot of churches nowadays, we hear from other pastors and other things, they're struggling just to keep the electric bill paid. Just to keep the lights on. They're hoping to do that. That's their distraction. But every so often, every so often in a Bible teaching church, a a Bible-centered, focused church, we find an anomaly. Something happens. They're the ones that that value evangelism. They they live for discipleship. They're committed to Bible preaching. They believe the Holy Spirit goes out and works amongst them. And uh, they get so excited about what they see. The singing this morning, was that awesome or what? I'm telling you what, that was some good stuff. And people get excited, and, and, and they're seeing lives changed. They're seeing hearts become alive to God. There are people being baptized, and they're so excited about what they're doing, they go out and they tell everybody about it. They're a Bible-centered church that is focused on outreach. And they're the evangelistic church. They preach Christ. They're like Thessalonica. The, the word sounds forth. And God can say about them, uh, For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only to the north, Macedonia, to the south, Achaia, also everywhere else, every other direction, the word has sounded forth. And they're commended. And they can't wait to tell others about Christ, what's going on at their church, their youth group that's talking about the word of God, teaching the word of God, and then having some good fun things going on from time to time on Saturday. Combination isn't just for fun. It's about the Word of God, as Pastor Weiler preaches it. They're they're discipling people. And some of these Bible-focused churches, by God's will, you know, they've grown into several hundred people. On occasion, several thousands of people just by being focused on God's Word and evangelism. Outreach. Telling others about everything that's going on. And and. uh, A few have grown so big that they've become a beacon of light, not only to their community, not only to their city, but there's a whole region talking about them. Yet they're faithful to God's word. And and the word has sounded forth. And and everybody knows about them. Every one of these churches that has done this and remained faithful to the word of God has been an outreach church. Telling others about what God is doing and about Christ. We need to go and tell. And uh, when, when... Members of a church catch on to this. They figure this out. Uh, It can light a fire in a congregation. It can light people up. There's energy. The Holy Spirit sees their zeal. And then the Holy Spirit sees their obedience. And he says, you know what? I'm going forth in front of these folks. I want to draw more people in so that they can be discipled and hear about Jesus Christ. I'm going to do something marvelous amongst the people of God. And the growth occurs, you know, sometimes it comes so spontaneously. The church I came really grew back in the 80s. I wasn't even a believer back then. But a real spurt came in the 80s. 
and they were prayerful and they were about evangelism, they couldn't even figure out how God did it. All they could do is just praise Jesus Christ. It wasn't about an individual or a program or a process or what they had done. All about what God had done amongst them. The only feasible answer in that situation is the Holy Spirit. Because He does things that are amazing. And with the growth in numbers, we've talked about this before, you know, many of those things that we've been praying about, they get answered. Prayers get answered with numbers. More volunteers in the nursery. Larger choir. Um, more children in the Sunday school. Rhonda, is it more exciting, just be honest with me, when you have three children in Sunday school or when you have 12 that are buzzling, buzzing around in there? Does that bring joy to you? To see people come in. Just think about it for a second. In the summer, sometimes it gets a little thin. I think we've gotten down to around 118 or a little less this year um, in the summertime. Is it more fun when there's 118 or when there's 180? More fun. People shouting to the Lord, learning about the Lord. What joy that brings a church when they come together. Just alive for Christ. Um. Everybody loves meeting new people. They love seeing a joy on a person's face when they understand Christ, that they're their Savior. They want to be part of something that God is doing. I, I, we all love that. And, and most important, the name of the Lord is lifted high amongst large numbers of people. Um, Blake, how many kids did you have for children's choir? 16 kids in here for... 18 for children's choir. You could hear them singing down the other side of Becker. <laughs> Wednesday night. They're alive. Is that better than three? That's better than three. Yeah. That's good stuff. That's what really makes uh, church enjoyable. And, and Christ's kingdom's expanded. People are getting saved. This is why we go out and preach Christ, folks. We want to see that type of work in Port St. Lucie. We want to see people saved and escape the fiery pits of hell. Believe it or not, with this, let me go here first. We need our footprint to get bigger and bigger. It needs to get larger and larger. And when, when a church's footprint gets bigger, they're either forced at some point, we aren't anywhere near close to this, close to this, but what happens with churches, they either are forced to build a larger building on a new property, or they're forced to plant other churches to start new works, and the opportunities for people to be involved just explode. Uh, ways to serve, places to serve, ability to serve, and that labor of love that you all have. And uh, we all become a part of something amazing, but first, you know what? You may not believe this. You may not believe it. People need to be told that there's a church in the corner of Savona and Par. They do. That just adds in. They need to be told there's a church. And uh, that's what we're, we're about. Um, we have to make the church visible. If there's one point going forward with our church, as new members are considering membership, as old members are renewing uh, what they do, you're already doing it. We see the connection cards and, and tracks and stuff flying off the, the, shel the shelves out there. Um, 
as we do that, people are going to see about the church. They're going to hear about the church. We're going to become visible. Um, people need to know we're here, folks. They aren't just going to come in off the street. Most people come to church because they're invited by someone. Yes, we do things to facilitate that. We've trimmed the trees back there that were hanging way down. We've opened things up here a little bit. People need to be able to see there's a church here, no doubt. But God uses it when there's an obedient person going forth and handing out that personal invitation, that gospel tract, that connection card. And uh, people need to know we are here. It's why we stand on the corner of Gatlin pointing people to the church. It's why we go out. It's why we get up and exist. Um, It's why we get on the internet. It's why we get on Facebook so people know there's a a church that's teaching the Word of God here. It begins to be a buzz about it. Yes, I'm going to get back on Facebook. I've, I've had a had a break from Facebook. I'm, I'm going to get back on there. I'm not real thrilled with, um, with a lot of things on the internet. I'm probably going to be, probably not going to be on there a lot. I've started a blog. Uh, I kind of let off on that. I'm going to get back on it. I don't like doing it, to be very honest. Um, but I love people hearing about what we teach here. And I'd rather not even have a picture of myself online, to be very honest with you. I wouldn't. I, I grew up in that generation... Um, many of you did, and here should make a point why you should all be active, and I need to be more active again. I grew up in that era where when you put a sticker on the back of your car that said, my child's an honor student, it was, it was prideful. It was considered that. Now it's nothing. But I mean, I was back in that age where you just don't draw attention to yourself. Now that we're perfect, but nowadays we've got to draw attention to ourselves, folks. We've got to tell other people who we are. We've got to be bold about who we are. Put your face out there. Put your church's name out there. Talk about Christ. Uh, and, and the Holy Spirit is going to use that to draw people. They're gonna, people are going to sense that energy, singing like we had today, and they're say, there's something going on here. They're teaching about Christ, and we need to tell other people about this. So we need to go out and preach Christ, folks. That's what it's all about. We go preach Christ. Everything we do when we wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, start cleaning yourself off. Think, what am I here for? What am I here for? I got to go tell people. Get those gospel tracts nearby. Tell people about Jesus. Take a moment out of your day. And uh, people are going to have to see our attitude, our personalities, our love for Christ. And the Holy Spirit will use that to cause them to respond. Jesus said, shine your light before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Folks, we need to go out and shine. We need to go out and shine. And, you know, nobody puts a light under a basket. We need to go shine, folks. Uh, God willing. If the Holy Spirit so desires to, you know, blow towards the corner of Savona and Parr, uh, your opportunities for ministry, they're going to expand. You want to talk about missions trips? Next week we're going to talk about missions, missions trips. Uh, you want to become a full-time missionary? Do you know your elders have been praying that the Lord would raise up a missionary out of our own number here? We want to see people in ministry. We want to see people embracing ministry and growing in, in, in their service. Uh, we get the right situation, the right number of people, other things. I want to talk church plant? I'd love to plant a church. Maybe just far enough off with, with a group who's driving a long ways from here, want to start a new work. It's not an easy route. 
It's not. Church planting is a hard route to go. Um, that's why you see so many churches that just kind of grow as they are. Because when you go out on a new church plant, you really got to overcome a lot of things. You got to be a special personality to do that. But the quality of what we do, uh, the worship that we do, everything associated with that, with the outreach, it's going to provide opportunities for ministry you would not imagine. And then you're going to see why you're here. You're going to know why we're here. And uh, financial budget. It's one of those things. Um, That's growth. People give generously. Financial issues, to do more missions overseas, to take those trips, to go do things, that's all handled with numbers. The reason we don't get to experience more of those is, is when we aren't doing outreach. Everything is related to that energy that comes from greater numbers. Everything, everything we do, the joy it brings. So we need to be committed to outreach. And the impact that we're going to have in Port St. Lucie and beyond, you can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Um, Next week, as we discuss our global outlook, our global outreach as a church on missions, not just local, um, we're going to have two very special guests. I invite everyone to come back. You don't want to miss this. They're coming in all the way from Italy. So come back and meet them. Um, Really encouraged. We don't want you to miss it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, uh, what a great day. What a wonderful day, Lord, to uh, come and worship you. Lord, we're we're even, you know, thankful for the uh, membership class, Lord, having a good-sized crowd in there, you know, bustling to kind of learn more what we're about as they kick the tires, Lord. We pray that you'd give them discernment. Lord, each of those that are considering membership, that they would would, uh, get clarity from you, in, in, in about what they should, if this is their home church, Lord. And uh, we pray that uh, you bless them in that. Lord, encourage us as we go out and encourage others there this week, as we tell others about Jesus Christ. Lord, encourage Kathleen as she has that opportunity to minister to her family. Bless that, Lord. And uh, as we study next week about global missions, about all the opportunities there, Lord, knowing that everything isn't carved in stone, but what can happen with a church when they start looking at overseas as a mission. Lord, uh, the activity that that can can bring, Lord, uh, we're excited about talking about that, Lord. So uh, bless everyone here. Lord, thankful for every one of them. Thank you for the wonderful worship this morning. And uh, we praise your holy name. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.